Good morning, my name is Miles, and this is my dad. His name, his name is Harvey. Mosaic is my family's home church. We attend here with my sister Beatrice and my mom, Amy. We are going to read today's scripture that we will be learning from. Today's scripture is Luke 18, verses 15 through 30. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, We have left all we had to know, had to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one has left home or wife, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. This is the word of Lord of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to Thanks God. Be to God. Hey, uh, my name is Tim. I'm the lead pastor here. It's great to be with you. Harvey and Miles, excellent job. That's, that's great. Um, Miles, you carried it. Harvey, you did, you did adequate and fine. And so it's great. You carried your dad. That was so good. No, I really appreciate you guys doing that. One, one of the things we do is, is, uh, uh, is every time we gather, we're looking at God's word. And one of the ways to actually um, prepare our hearts and our minds is to stand and listen to it just read over us. And so um, many of us uh, as a part of the, the church family here have, have been up here and read, and that can be a really intimidating, scary thing. And you guys just you nailed it. So thank you. And um, if you're interested in that, sometimes holler. We would love to have you have you be somebody who reads scripture uh, for us as a, as a church on, on Sunday sometime. Uh, I want to tell you about uh, something real quick, and then we'll dive into this, this passage that we just heard. Um, one of the things that God has called us to as a church uh, is to invest in and uh, develop the next generation of leaders among us who will serve the church over the course of their life. Um, that might be in, in some kind of vocational paid capacity. That might be in um, going and helping to plant a church. That might be planting a home church. That be, could be working for um, some kind of organization. That could be um, working in the home. That could be working in any kind of job, but that we're developing the next generation of leaders to serve God wherever God has called them. Um, and we do that through something called the Leader in Training Cohort. Um, it's a two-year uh, commitment that's... Uh, 
Um, we've taken um, nearly 100 uh, people through over the last uh, dozen years or so. Um, I think we have four in right now. Um, for example, um, Maya, who's leading us in, in worship uh, this morning, uh, was a leader in training. Uh, Chris currently is. He's on guitar. Um, we have uh, folks who uh, lead uh, teams, our welcome team. We have uh, folks that lead in our middle school and high school ministry and our kids' ministry. Over the years, in virtually every uh, aspect of, of who we are as a church, we have handed over significant, not just opportunity, but responsibility to lead and paired that person with a staff coach or pastor and uh, also a spiritual mentor. And the intention is to invest in the lives of these next leaders um, to develop them spiritually. So there's a spiritual formation aspect of it. There's a skill aspect where you're actually learning how to lead other people, um, which is all sorts of fantastic, crazy, messy kind of experience. Uh, and then just a, I'm giving them knowledge of what it means to, to follow Jesus as, as well and to train them in that. And so um, that's, that's what it is. It's a, uh, the applications are open now and we're forming our next cohort for, for this next year. I think we currently have uh, four uh, leaders in training that are, that are serving our, our church right now in some capacity or another. So if that's you, uh, it, it, maybe if you're wondering, is this me? We have had um, folks that are ages as young as 18 and as old as 60 be a leader in training in our church. Um, it is targeted towards uh, younger generations, so kind of 35 and younger um, is it's what it's designed for. We have uh, folks that have been in really significant ministry roles before and have come and then participated here at Mosaic and been developed and God's used them in significant ways in the future. Um, so if you have any questions, uh, grab me afterwards or email. Um, there's an application online where you can go and read more about it and then apply if you'd like on our website um, under serving opportunities and then you'll find leader in training there. So um, just, just for kicks, I, I don't know how this will go, but if you have either been a leader in training within Mosaic, or you have been a mentor who has mentored leaders in training, um, would you just raise your hand right now? So just look around the room for a moment. There's a, a, a number of us who have been through that, and so, um, great. We tend to sit apparently over here, um, but that's, that's, that's fine. So um, we're really excited about uh, who God is going to bring uh, this next year and, and who gets to be a part of it, um, and we get to invest in and then send wherever that may be, whether that's right here within our own church, our own city, or somewhere around the world. So hey, I want to invite you to do something with me. If you could just kind of take a deep breath, uh, we're going to go to God together and pray right now and then open up scripture together and see what he has for us as we look at these verses that we just heard read. So let's pray together. God, you are in this moment. You are present here with us. You are with us wherever we go. There's nowhere where we can go and find ourselves away from you, that you are always near and always with us. As we're gathered together right here, as we're watching online or listening at another time, God, would you work in, in the teaching of your word? Would you work in the gathering of your people? Would you work in the singing of, of your name? Would you be pleased with it? But would we experience your presence in some real and tangible way right now? And Holy Spirit, we ask for your help in that you would not leave us the same, that you would provide not just the comfort, but also the conviction to pursue you and to trust you and to follow you. Holy Spirit, would you move and work right now in our minds, in our hearts, in our bodies, in this collective space and time?
Would you be active and moving and doing your work? And Jesus, as we, again, as we've been working through your book of Luke, would you reveal more of who you are and what it is that you are calling us to, who you want us to be as humans here now on earth, that we would be more like you, that we would know you more. And so would you work right now as we, as we look at your words, as your story in scripture? It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Um, Daniel was, was raised by a single mom, and he, uh, in high school, because his mom needed a, a better job to provide for them as a family, moved from the East Coast to the West Coast, and she got a job and, and moved uh, her and her son, Daniel, to, to the West Coast of California, and, and she started a new job, but that meant that Daniel, in high school, had to find a whole new group of friends, and so he, he started high school and, and started to, to, to make friends and meet people, and it didn't go very well. Actually, he was, he was bullied a little bit. Um, and uh, there was a time where he was, he was actually getting bullied and, and beat up, and, and someone came and, and protected him uh, and, and very really saved him. Um, and, and Daniel looked at the way that he was saved by this older man um, and said, teach, teach me to do what you just did. Um, and he said, okay, come work for me. And so Daniel went and worked for him. And he says, I want to learn to do what you do. And he said, okay, we'll start by... Uh, painting my fence. So he did that. And then he said, okay, now I want you to sand my deck. And he did that. And then he, he said, okay, now I'm, I'm going to have you wash my cars. And he did that. But as he did that, he got increasingly frustrated and confused and eventually lashed out at this man who was supposed to be teaching him and training him. See, Daniel had seen Mr. Miyagi use karate <laughs> and had saved him from these bullies. And he said, I need to learn how to do that in order to survive in high school. And so will you teach me to do that? And he said, yes. But then he didn't. He taught him to, he used him as like, like labor, like to paint my fence and sand my deck and wash my car. And then this frustration poured out of him and he said, this isn't working, you're not doing, I'm not learning karate. If you've ever seen that movie, it's, I think it's almost 40 years old. It's kind of the Karate Kid spurred a, a, you know, a whole series of sequels and then redos and then a, I think a series on Netflix. And, and so many of us are familiar with Karate Kid. But that, that level of frustration that Daniel felt with Mr. Miyagi because he said, there's something about you that I want to learn and be able to do, but you're, you're not doing it. You're not just telling me how to do it. You're sending me to do all these other things. And he's frustrated and yelling at him. That, that moment of, of confusion and disappointment and disorientation is what the disciples of Jesus felt on a regular basis. The disciples are following Jesus and they're like, you have the words of life, no one else does. You do these miracles, no one else does. You teach and people are changed. You touch them and heal them. There's something different about you and we, we want to be a part of this. And it, instead of just kind of telling us how to do it, you, you kind of point us in all these other directions that don't quite add up to us. The verses that we heard read and that we're going to look at together are another one of those moments where Jesus is doing something that seems so distant from what they were expecting, so distant from what they wanted and were asking for. It was so disorienting and confusing, and I would imagine there was a level of frustration. As we look at these, what we see, these two, two different people that, that Jesus is contrasting, one is, is children, or babies even, 
and the other is a, is a rich young ruler. Now, on the surface, those two people, a child or even a baby, and a, a well-to-do man in society in the first century are, are polar opposites. And see, see at, that, at that time, children were, uh, it, I mean, technically, they've got the Old Testament. They know that children are a blessing, but eh, not really. Like, children in that culture were cared for by women and were educated, but until they were able to contribute to society, the sense that they weren't that significant or they were almost even useless, they were a burden, was more of the reality. And it's the reason that the disciples responded the way that they do, is that they, they take them away from Jesus. They, they scold them. They say, hey, women, get the kids away from Jesus. It says women were bringing babies to Jesus so that he would touch them and, and bless them. So children were kind of this lower class burden. But a guy who's done well for himself and has quite a bit of money and uh, is actually pious, he's, he's viewed as uh, holy, that's a person that apparently God is blessing that person. Everybody would have thought like God is for this person. They're provided for financially, which is not unlike some people do today, is to say, oh, that, that means God is blessing them and taking care of them. He's in, God's in favor of them because they have money. Not only that, but he's followed all of the laws that, that are out there. And he's saying publicly in front of Jesus, I followed everything. How do I get the good life? How do I get eternal life? How do I get the life that really matters? I'm following all the things. So this, this man is kind of acknowledged as somebody that God is most likely blessing and is for. And kids, like, get them away from Jesus. And Jesus does, like Jesus often does, is he just flips the script and does something completely upside down and backwards. Look at... Look at these words in the, in the um, chapter 18 of Luke, uh, verses 16 and 17 say this. But Jesus called the children to him and said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Jesus, again, is talking about the kingdom of God, and, and he's saying, he uses these words, he says, like, like, like children, if you can't become like a children, or like a child, or even a baby, then you're, you're not going to experience the, the kingdom. I mean, that, talk about, like, confusing for the disciples. Everything they're doing in their life is to move away from being a dependent. Everything they're doing in their life is we're going to grow beyond being a child and certainly not a baby. That just is, like, Jesus, what are you saying? You're using words like belong. The kingdom of, of God will belong to you if you're like a child. The, you'll not receive it if, you're not, if you don't become like a child or enter into it. And in, in Matthew, it doesn't show up here in, in Luke, but in Matthew, it's got the same story and the same um, experience, but there's a word added where Jesus says, unless you change Unless you change and become like a child, the kingdom of God will not belong to you. Will not, you'll not receive it. You'll not enter into it. Let's, let's pause just for a moment, if we can, and do just a, a rewind to a couple weeks ago. A couple weeks ago, we, we stopped and we just looked at what is Jesus' favorite topic throughout the book of Luke and certainly throughout the other gospels. But as we've been reading through Luke, we're in chapter 18 now. There's 24. We're nearing the end. But as we're moving through the book of Luke, Jesus is always coming back to this idea of the kingdom of God. It's what he teaches about. When he heals, he says it's broken in. It's, it's showed up. 
And so we stopped for a moment a couple weeks ago and just said, what is the kingdom of God? So here's, here's just kind of a quick snapshot. I'm just going to go through it really quickly. If you're, if you're not familiar with this idea of the kingdom of God, it's the thing that Jesus talked about. It's mentioned 32 times throughout the book of Luke. Jesus is always talking about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. And what it means is the rule of God. So if you can picture a, a ruler and God, the creator of the universe, where what his will is, is, is actually happening. And it's part of how Jesus taught us to pray. Lord, your will be done, your kingdom come. Where God's will is done, where his rule is happening, where what he wants done is done, is where the kingdom of God is, is breaking in. It involves these things of a, of a king. Any kingdom will involve a king and, and the king's uh, rule, what that looks like, a, a people that are ruled by the, the king. And then a, a law, or think of it this way, a way of life, a way of being, a way of functioning that that king is inviting you into. And then a place, it has to happen in a place. It's not just an idea or a concept, but a land. It's happening tangibly somewhere. This is all the idea of the kingdom of God. And Jesus says it's, it's in our midst. And when Jesus declares that, he's not saying it's some kind of spiritual idea or, or a sense or a feeling that we have. Jesus is saying, and when he, we read it throughout the New Testament, when Jesus says it's in your midst, he means that he's there. So the kingdom of God is tied directly to Jesus. When Jesus shows up, and he's with people. He says, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Why? Because the king has arrived. And so, in your midst means that Jesus is with you. Now, we believe that Jesus is here with us now. And so, there's a sense that the kingdom is, is breaking into and it's starting to show up. But it's already, it's, it's already here in some way, but it's not yet complete. See, when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, there is this sense that in a world that is divided, in a world that's violent, in a world that can't help but just breed and propagate shame, in a world where there's disappointment and pain and loss and grief, that we want more of what God wants because God doesn't want those things. And Jesus is repeatedly teaching, as we've seen through the book of Luke, that there's healing, that there's hope, that pain is erased, that where there's relational strife, those things are healed and put back together. Where there's been a breakdown, there's a wholeness that can happen because of Jesus. So when Jesus casts a demon out of someone, he says, there, the kingdom of heaven just showed up. When Jesus heals someone who's never walked before and makes their legs capable of carrying their weight and walking, he says, the kingdom's just showed up. When somebody's blind and hasn't seen he heals him and provides sight. And he says that the kingdom of God has shown up. That Jesus is about bringing healing and hope and wholeness to a world that's broken. And then Jesus does something that just seems so upside down and backwards. And he says, it's children who belong to the kingdom. Now, what Jesus is saying here is, is not something that is uh, necessarily particularly obvious. Um, I don't know if I was if I was Peter at that point, um, or or Bartholomew. He's got a cooler name. So if I was Bartholomew at that point and said, "Okay, I got to become a kid," does that do I like what, like where would my mind go? I mean, I'm pretty like tangible, like a kid. Do I put on kids' clothes? Do I start uh, babbling? Do I start asking for food instead of feeding myself? Do any number of other things that kids might do that your mind might go to? I mean, I don't like how do I become a kid? Jesus, you're pointing. To, to these children who are not contributing in a significant way like we are, or certainly this rich young ruler. They're, they're dependent. They are needy. What is it about them? 
And if we begin to think of a, of a child, of, of what a child, one of the things that a, a child's able to do is, is especially if you picture a mom carrying a newborn, an infant, and walking over to Jesus and saying, Jesus, would you, would you bless this, this child? And the disciples shooing her away and saying, get away, like Jesus has more important things to do. And Jesus just stops the whole situation and says, no, this is where it's at. He's not saying become like a child, like physically, like an appearance or, or function like that. What he's saying, there's something about children that are drawn to my kingdom. The kingdom of God is also known as the kingdom of heaven. And again, it's why Jesus says, my kingdom come, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's a sense of heaven where God rules that we want to pull more of that. Jesus is about pulling more of that into our world here. And when he's saying that a child is the one who belongs to the kingdom, a child is the one who is able to receive it because they're different. What is it about them that is different? And, and Jesus is pointing to something that I don't think is, is necessarily obvious. Jesus is pointing to something that, uh, that we know ab- about children, but it's, it's a little bit deeper. He's, he's saying that if you're not like this, you're not going to like heaven. It's not that you can't get in. It's not that I will bar you from it. And, and test and whether to see you're, you're, you're behaving like a child. That's, that's not what it is. It's like, there's something about children that love what heaven will be and that you might not actually like it. You aren't conditioned to it. You're not prepared for it. In fact, if you don't change and become like a child, if you were to go into heaven right now, you might not actually be comfortable. You might not enjoy it. We know about children that they are dependent and they are reliant on someone else. And that's an obvious thing. But underneath that, something that's a little deeper is about what a a child's appetites are. We know an infant, when they're born, they're crying immediately. If they're healthy, they're crying immediately for sustenance, for attention. We know what their appetites are. We know when they begin to see things that they, they reach for things immediately that they're curious about and that they want. But even deeper than that, There's relational longing and need and desire. Jesus is pointing to the desires of our hearts and using children to say, look at how you know the desires of a child's heart. I just heard this recently that within the first, I think it's within three hours that they have measured newborns. Within three hours, they are able to know if somebody is paying attention to them or not and they're looking for someone. I've shared this quote with you before, but it's by a, uh, a psychologist named Kurt Thompson. And he says, every, I think the quote is, every child is born into the world looking for someone, looking for them. Every child is born into this world looking for someone, looking for them. A child isn't shameful about wanting to be seen. A child is very transparent about their needs and desires for attention and care from another person, from somebody to see them. There's a, there's a book that this is quoted in um, by Kurt Thompson. It's, the name of the book is The Soul of Desire. And the subtitle, if you care, is Discovering the Neuroscience of Longing, Beauty, and Community. And what he writes about in this is just our human, just basic longing for connection and relationship. We have a, a longing for relationship. And, and all of us know that. And all of us are constantly assessing, 
our relational connections, are constantly assessing our friendships, are constantly con assessing who really knows me. Now, granted, some of us are busy, and that doesn't show up very often. Like, we, we run from one thing to the next, and we don't really, really pay attention, but when things all kind of settle down and stop spinning for a moment and we just sit, we're immediately aware of who knows where we're at. What Kurt Thompson does is, both from a neuroscience perspective and a, and a counseling therapeutic perspective, is he, he weaves together what our, our soul's desires are. What is it that we really, really long for? And he uses a, a, a colleague's uh, list of four words and says that, that there's four S's that we're all longing for, that we all need, that we all have a, have a human. It's born when we're brand new newborn, it starts to show up and we can see it within just a few hours. And the first is that, that we're seen, that somebody else sees us. We have a longing for someone else to see us and acknowledge us and notice that we're there. And then once we're seen, it can move to the, the second need that we have, which is to be soothed. The things are that we have needs, that we have desires, that we have longings. And, and, and when we're young and a child, those things are as simple as, as food and nurture. When we grow up and go through life, we know that it's, it begins to get more complex and different and nuanced and deeper. And we're aware of, of deeper things that we're struggling with or need soothing for. But when we're seen, we actually have then know that we have the capacity to be, be soothed by someone who sees us. And we have an environment and relationship where that, that's happening. When we're seen and soothed, then we have a space where we are, are safe. And I love how Kurt Thompson describes being safe. His definition of safe is a place, a context, a relationship or a network of relationships that provide comfort and confidence. Comfort and confidence. And he goes on to say that that doesn't mean that there's never any pain or loss. But when we're seen and we're soothed, we're in a healthy relationships of some sort, and we're safe, we have a place of comfort and, and confidence. And that doesn't mean that we never get any harm, that that happens, but when there is harm, and he calls it like nicks and bruises, and so if you think of a child in a home that is, is safe, there's still harm that comes. He still might get hurt, might fall down and scrape a knee, might run into something. Accidents happen. But when those things happen, they don't rattle us so much that we lose a sense of safety, that we know where we can run back to and we have a place where we're seen and soothed and it's safe. And so we have a sense of comfort and confidence that aren't wavering and fluctuating, that those are there. And when those are there, what happens is, is that we can step out and try new things and risk. Jesus is saying the kingdom of God, if you can think of, of heaven or the place where what God wants done is done, will not fit for you, will not be something that you long for if those are all out of place and you don't have those established in some way. And if you've gone through this world, as we all have, making decisions on our own, dealing inappropriately with shame, experiencing difficult situations and not finding healing through them. There's a sense that we want further and further and further away from our dependence and trust on our creator who sees us and desires to provide places of soothing and safety for us in our lives. And as we go on our own and get to be more independent and make decisions for ourselves that we work further and further away from the longing and desire for the life that God actually created us for. And Jesus counters 
the description of a child belonging to the kingdom, receiving the kingdom, entering into the kingdom naturally because their, their desires are on their sleeve because they've opened themselves up and says, hey, provide for me. And when God provides them for that, they're safe. And he contrasts that with the rich young ruler. Look at the rich young ruler and what happens. He says, um, a certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life or the good life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. Jesus right here is just saying, flattery is not going to get you very far with me. Like we don't, we don't need to do that kind of pleasantries where you acknowledge that I'm above or beyond you. I'm a rabbi. He says this next, you know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, the rich young ruler said. I've done all of, I followed all the rules. I've done it all. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, now get this. Jesus says something to him. If you, if you heard it earlier, it's, it's pretty shocking. Um, I, I, get, I get uncomfortable every time I read it because I don't know that I, I could do this. And as yet, Jesus hasn't asked me to do this. And in fact, as we read scripture, Jesus only asked a few, this a few times. This wasn't like a common thing. But Jesus looks at this particular man and he says this. You still lack one thing. Sell everything that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Let go of everything that you've tied yourself to. Now, again, Jesus doesn't ask this from every single person, but he sees something in this one particular person, this one young man, and says, okay, now sell everything and come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, now Jesus is looking at this young man. Can you imagine this, how awkward this is? He's looking at this young man. There's others around, and he says this to him. How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, indeed it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And that's like a, that's as basic as it seems there. Like you don't, you don't need to be some kind of scholar to like translate or interpret that. Jesus is saying, for people who have a lot of money, and it's not just people who have a lot of money, what he's saying, for people who have wrapped their identity and their safety and security around that, it's hard for them to enter into the kingdom of God. In fact, it's like impossible because those things are not the things of the kingdom of God because they have made their safety, the things that, that are bringing them any sense of being soothed right now is actually money and not the soul's deepest desire for connection and relationship and being known. And so Jesus says this, like a, a camel and an eye of a needle. It's just a simple, like a camel is a big animal, eye of a needle is really small. That, you know, like that's impossible, that, that, that's not gonna work. There's no like nuance or code or something that would unlock that to mean something other than that. It's a big thing and a real small thing, that's it. It's like impossible. Those who heard this asked them, who then can be saved? Who then can have the good life? Who then can have eternal life? Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter says to him, or Daniel says to Mr. Miyagi, we've left everything to follow you. What is going on, Jesus? Like, I, we, we thought we had this deal. We were gonna follow you, you were gonna be king, everything was gonna be great, you're gonna cast every single demon out, you're gonna provide for all of our needs, you're gonna heal anyone who's unhealthy. 
you're going to do it all. We're, we're with you for this. And then you're saying here now that this is impossible. Like if this guy who's blessed because he's got money, this guy who's followed all of the rules, if you're looking at him in our midst as we're standing around in a group and you're looking at him and saying, yeah, I don't know that he's going to enter the kingdom of God. Peter's at his wit's end. He's like, I've been washing all of your cars. What is up? And he says, truly, I tell you, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age as in the age to come. I, I think this is the scene where Peter starts doing wax on, wax off, and is like, I can defeat anyone now. Like, all of a sudden, and I don't know that Peter got it essentially fully yet or not, but what, what's going on is that Peter is actually... Having, have, hearing from Jesus clearly, okay, I'm still on the right track. I've left everything. I had this profession as a, you know, I was like moving up the ranks in, in the fishing boat industry on, on Galilee, and now I've left everything, and I've walked away from home, and we're in a different place, a different town every time, and, and I'm, I'm doing all the things that you're telling me to do and painting your fence and sanding your stuff and doing all this stuff that you're telling me to do, and it's not adding up, and it's not making sense. And his orientation is continuing to shift. And Jesus says, no, if, you've, if, you've with, if you're with me, if you're learning from me, if you're doing the strange and bizarre things that make you such a distinct, different kind of person in this time, you're on the right track. It doesn't all add up all the time. It does seem mysterious. It does seem crazy. But, but what I'm doing is I'm, I'm reconditioning your heart and I'm exposing the things that it really, really longs for. And it actually doesn't really, really long for wealth. And in fact, it doesn't even, get this, really, really long for doing all of the rules and all of the pious and holy things that we hold up as right versus wrong. There's actually something underneath that that is deeper, that reveals and exposes what you have on a heart level that children don't have the skills or intellect or interest and covering up yet, that they're just there. I need food, feed me. I need somebody to pay attention to me, pay attention to me. I need to know that I'm safe and have a sense of being comforted so that I can have the confidence to take my first step. And when I fall down and start crying that you pick me up and then I can take another step. Because I'm made to step out and to risk and to be vulnerable in this life. And I can't do that unless I'm seen and soothed and safe. And then what happens is I become more like the kingdom person you want me to be. And I can step out into my world and out into my home and out into my neighborhood and into my place of work. And I can be somebody who actually brings hope and healing and goodness and beauty. Because that's the longing of my heart, that as I age and grow up, gets wounded, gets ruptured, gets bruised. And so I start to cover it up. And shame becomes this, this wall around me where nobody else can get in. And I have to be my own safety and security. Paul Thompson says, sorry, Kurt Thompson says, that the fourth word is, is security. Then we move from a place of safety, we move to security, and, 
in his circles of other therapists and neuroscience nerd guys, they have different definitions of it. But he says it's this. His definition of security is that we've moved from a place of safety where we have comfort and confidence to a place of security where we can step out into this world and we create new things. We can make new things, new relationships, new inventions, new, new pictures of, of beauty. And what Jesus is doing in his disciples then and in me and you today is saying, come to me. Don't go to the other things in this world. Come to me first and foremost. Be like a child that just is willing to expose your heart and to be vulnerable with the God of the universe and trust that God is gonna put people around you in your life who are gonna help with that. And it's gonna be hard and it's gonna take work and it's gonna take a level of, of risk. And as my wife and I learned, Abby and I learned through our, our time in therapy, this uh, uh, phrase, rupture and repair. I don't know if you've ever ruptured a relationship. Um, I was notified that I have. And so my counselor, my wife helped me understand that. And so now we have this skill set where we can rupture in our marriage. Sometimes they're little ones, sometimes they're, they're deeper ones. But then we can repair. And the reason we can is because we've learned how to see each other and soothe each other and provide a safe context for one another. And while we're doing that on a human level, the only reason we can do it on a human level and even have a chance of making it through is because our creator did that for us through the person and work of Jesus. And God comes to us and says, I see you. Deepest longing that we have. I mean, we cover it up and we hide it. And so maybe you even think like, yeah, that's not that big of a deal for me. It's the deepest longing that we have, that we're seen and we're known. And God just starts moving forward from there. As a sinner, we need a savior. And God has seen that need and meets that need in Jesus. Three quick things to consider. The first is, to what level, three quick questions. To what level are you sharing your desires with the God of the universe? Like, like he knows them. But are you sharing them? Are you actually saying, God, this is what I long for. This is what I desire. It's a step of risk for many of us because we immediately wonder what, what won't get met, what need won't get answered, what requests won't happen. Are you sharing your needs? And maybe you don't even believe God. And so can I invite you to, to try this with him? God, if you're there or not, this is something that I long for. Just to try that. And for those of us that follow Jesus, this is what I'm needing and wanting and desiring in my life right now. Secondly, what are you doing to know yourself better right now? What are you doing to be honest with yourself and getting to know yourself better? One here, this is just a shameless plug. One of the things that we do within leader and training is focus on how do we know, how well we know ourselves. And we have a number of ways that we do that. But when somebody goes through our leader and training cohort, they grow, I'm not, they don't come to full awareness, but they grow in the awareness of who they are. What are you doing to be honest with yourself and get to know you? The rich young ruler walked away. The rich young ruler was sad 
because he didn't know himself enough to know that he was actually clinging to the things of this world when he had the king, the savior of the world, talking to him, standing right in front of him. What are you doing to know yourself better? And third, who are you walking with that is helping you in those things? Who is around you? When I ask that question, who is around you right now, some of you, the first faces and names that pop up are people in your life right now who are not helping you do that. Others of you have names show up that you're celebrating right now because they're walking with you through this, through life right now. Make the decision to lean into those that are helping you follow Jesus and to set up healthy, honoring, loving boundaries with those that are threatening you following Jesus. We're gonna continue to sing and come to this table. And again, Jesus says, the kingdom of God belongs to such as these, to children, to those that are willing to risk and expose the deepest longings of their heart, that don't have any guard up to say, I need food, I need to be seen, I need. And so would we be more like that so that we can experience a little taste of heaven here and know that when we get to heaven, when we experience more of the eternal life, it will fit and we'll be excited for it. We'll be prepared for it. Jesus, as we consider something as mysterious as the deepest longings of our hearts, would you bring healing right here and now? Would you bring a sense of hope? Because right now some of us are in this moment aware of loss and pain, disappointment, unmet dreams. And so would you right now meet us in this moment as we come to your table, that we need you, but that you see us, that you know exactly what we're going through. The way that you've designed who we are as human beings, our brains, our hearts, all how we work is to is to long for you. And you meet us, not just personally, directly, but also through the people that you put around us. And so would we grow into that kind of a community, that kind of a church where we can be there for one another? We can risk and say, these are the things that I'm struggling with. These are the things I'm longing for. These are the things that I don't understand. These are the things where I'm seeing God show up. God, would we grow and be more like that? God, you see us, you desire to bring soothing into our lives and to provide a safe environment where we're secure and can step out into this world and to be those that actually bring more of your kingdom into this world. Would you help us to do that? As we come to this table today, would we see your face? Would you see us? As you're ready, we're gonna to continue to sing and come to this table. The, the juice represents Jesus' blood shed for us. The cracker represents his body broken for us.